Um, we are actually, um, the sermon is about the Lord's Supper, and I was just, I was praying uh, earlier in the week as I knew the Lord's Supper was coming up. How in the world do you communicate the importance of this to a congregation that has people all the way from the ages of uh, six weeks to 96? I mean, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a big task, and so I hope not to bore you today, uh, because to me, uh, the Lord's Supper is is very intimate. Uh, it seems like uh, here lately I've been watching um, a lot of uh, shows that have marriage proposals on them, and it's amazing the the effort to which some people go to request someone's hand in marriage. Now, thankfully, in my day, they didn't have YouTube and Facebook. Now everybody wants to have a YouTube video of the proposal, and and they want to do bigger and better, but. But some people just say, hey, you want to get married, and that's it. And, but the thing is about the proposal, do you remember your proposal? Do you remember when you said yes, or do you remember when you, you took the chance and took the chance on love and, and, and had to uh, say, would you marry me, and just pray that they said yes? I remember that, and um, I can remember the proposal. It wasn't the most uh, chivalrous thing, but it worked because you said yes. Uh, but I, I can think of no other expression of love, no other uh, request to to reciprocate those feelings than in a marriage proposal. And, and I want you to understand that today as we approach the Lord's Supper, even when I was a kid, my focus was the crackers and the juice, right? You're going to have some crackers, you're going to have the juice, you're going to have these nifty little cups. And, and I always want to take those little cups home. I don't know why, because I guess I wanted to play with them and play... Who knew I was going to be a preacher at that age? I was playing Lord's Supper at home, right? But um, anyway, as we approached this message, I just pray that you see that this Lord's Supper is actually an act of love and appreciation for what Jesus Christ has done for us. Let's pray. God, thank you for what we've already experienced in this worship service today. May you speak to our hearts and may we show you in a tangible way that we love you today. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. If there's ever something that has become a lost art, it is that of the family table. The family table. Now it seems like families are, and, and I'm included too, most of the times we're, we're grabbing what we can. It's a, a value combo, number one or number two. Bring it home, pull it out of the sack, put it on the plate, turn on the TV and enjoy some time together, right? Uh, that's not the way it used to, de- used to be. Many of you in here... When you were growing up, either as a child or even when you had your own children, you knew that about 5, 5.30, to put all the food on the table and, and have the family there. And those, those family dinners, that's what makes Thanksgiving so cool. Because I've heard some of you talk about over the years how at Thanksgiving your house is full of family or, or you're going to a house that is full of family. Is it just not neat to have everybody in one place? Because usually it's going to be Christmas. Thanksgivings, weddings, and funerals. That's when you're going to see everybody. But to be around that family table, even to see families that are grieving over the loss of a loved one, but they're sitting around tables with food, laughing, and enjoying one another's company. The art of the family table has been lost. I remember last week, uh, Don and I both, Don had been sick for a while, and we'd both been kind of out of the pocket, so to speak. So we had a treat at our house. We had a sit-down meal. She, she fixed the meal. We sat down at the table. And I'm telling you, 
There's nothing like it. Because you sit there and you're not out in public and you sit there and you just you talk to one another. You enjoy one another. And the thing about a family table is that uh, when you approach the family table, first thing you have to do, you have to clean up. Wash your hands. Make sure that you're presentable at the table. Well, we're talking about a different table today. We're talking about the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. And I will tell you and I will tell myself that as we approach the Lord's table today, we need to clean up. No, we don't need to wash our hands. We need to wash our hearts. We need to ask for forgiveness of the sins that make us unclean so that we can take the Lord's Supper in a clean status. Also, at the table, we communicate with one another. This service today is about not just me preaching, about you communicating with the Savior who died for you. Also, at a family table, we must share the food, help one another, and then also enjoy our time together. You know, they did a study and they said families that have a a family table, actually have kids that grow up to be healthier. They eat their vegetables. They don't eat so fast. They digest their foods. They're more active, all because of a family table. Well, let's look at the table meeting that we're celebrating today, and that is that of the Lord's Supper. And this is found in Luke chapter 22, starting with verse 14. And I'll read it for you. Uh, there is a Bible in the pew in front of you, or if you have the Version Bible app, uh, it'll be on there as well. It says in verse 14, When the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup. And after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God has come. And he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This is the cup of the new covenant established by my blood. It is shed for you. But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me. Isn't that amazing? This is just a a pause in the story. Judas was with him. His betrayer was eating with him. I want you to see in that fact, Jesus loved Judas. And Jesus gave Judas every opportunity to repent and change his ways. But no, he was there. Verse 22, For the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. So they began to argue among themselves which, is, uh, which of them it could be and who was going to do such a thing. I love the disciples. Jesus is about, he has just told them that this is his last supper with them on earth. But all they wanted to do was argue about, well, who is it? And then after they argue about that, if you read on, they argue about, well, who's going to be the greatest among us? They had no idea what was happening. They, they could not see what Jesus was trying to tell them. But here it is, the Last Supper. So what is the origin story of the Last Supper? Why do we have this? I remember when I was younger and I would go into a church, I used to think this was like, 
a funeral. I didn't know what it was up there until finally the preacher came and pulled back the the the, the shroud or whatever you want to call it, and, and I saw the place. I said, whew, we're good. But where does the Lord's Supper come from? If you go back and you go back into Exodus 12, you're going to see something called the Passover. The Passover, because the Lord's Supper is Jesus and the disciples celebrating the festival of the Passover. And what that what involved in that was God was preparing to move his chosen people out of slavery from Egypt into the promised land. You see, he had to force their hand a little bit, and we see how. Because God had hardened Pharaoh's heart. There was no way that Pharaoh was going to let his slave workforce of Hebrews leave Egypt. He thought about it. He went back and forth until finally said, no, they're not going to go. So God took it to the next level. God hardened his heart. And God showed his mercy to those that trusted him and his judgment to those that didn't. Let me say that one more time. God showed his mercy to those that trusted him and his judgment to those who didn't. That happened at the Passover. That happened at the flood. That will happen at the second coming. Because we see that he instructed Moses to tell his people, he said, what I want you to do is I want you to go and get a precious lamb that is without blemish. And that night you can get a lamb or a goat without blemish and care for it. For two weeks that, that, that goat would live or that, that lamb would live in your house. It would become a pet. Now, any of y'all pet owners? I love my pet. Don't mess with my pet. So they, they call, uh, he, Moses tells them, bring that animal into the house. Care for it in two weeks. And then I want you to cut its throat. Let the blood spill into a bowl. Take a brush or something and paint the doorpost with its blood. Why in the world would God ask them to hold up with that pet for two weeks and then do that? I'll tell you why. Because the heart strings had started to form. They cared for that animal. If they didn't care for that animal, it wouldn't have been a sacrifice. They loved that animal, but yet it was a sacrifice. And then they painted that blood over the doorpost. And then that night, the, the death angel would come by and on any door that did not have the blood over the doorpost, the firstborn would die. But if the blood was on the door, the angel would, the death angel would pass over. That's where we get the Passover festival. And if you look in Exodus 12, if, if you don't want to look there, I'll just tell you, there's a couple of verses that tell about this. Uh, specifically, it says in verse 26 of of Exodus 12, it says, When your children ask you, what does this ritual mean to you? You are to reply, It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and spared our homes. Now at midnight, the Lord struck every firstborn male in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner, who was in the dungeon, and every firstborn of the livestock. 
during the night, Pharaoh got up, he along with all his officials and all the Egyptians, and there was a loud wailing throughout Egypt because there wasn't a house without someone dead. I don't, I don't know how recent it has been since you, you studied the story of the Exodus and, and the Hebrews leaving Egypt, but do you understand now why Pharaoh was chasing them? It wasn't just because his workforce was leaving. It was because of their God, his firstborn son, was dead. And the firstborn son of all his friends were dead. All of these people that claimed that God was not the one true God, that hardened their hearts, they were mad at these Christians, and the Hebrews, folks, they were running for their lives. God put them in a position to where they had to run. He kind of forced their faith, didn't he? So as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we celebrate the Passover, just as it seems like it's, it's inhumane to, to care for an animal for two weeks and then sacrifice it, it is, a, it is a preview of what God did Himself with His own Son, Jesus Christ, for your sin and for my sin. The death angel would pass over. And why, why is the blood so significant in the Lord's Supper? When we talk about the grape juice that we're going to drink representing the blood that he shed. Well, it says in Leviticus 17.11, it says this. It says that for the life of the body is in its blood. I have given you the blood at the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for life that makes purification possible. It is sacrifice, the sacrifice of blood. And a sacrifice actually means, it's on the screen here for you, that a sacrifice is defined as the offering up of something precious for a cause or a reason. I remember watching something the other day, and there was a, a, a lady, a mother, who was listening, just putting her ear up to the chest of a child just to hear its heartbeat just to hear its heartbeat. And when I read more about it, I found out why. Because that child was a recipient of a heart transplant of her child. So her child's heart was beating in the life of this other child. So as long as she could hear that heartbeat, it was a reminder of who her child was. If you've ever been in the hospital and you needed blood, if you've ever been a part of a catastrophe where the, the blood mobile comes out and they're begging for people to donate blood. Why is that? Because blood is life. Without blood, we die. And blood is important because God says here that without blood, there is no life. And just as God provided the animal to offer its blood for the sins of the Hebrews, He offered His Son and His blood for your sins and mine. It says in Ephesians 1, chapter 7, it says, He is so rich in kindness and in grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. I cannot imagine having a son or a daughter, a brother or sister, or a husband or a wife that has died in the line of duty for our country. 
Some of you know that pain. Some of you know that absence. But you also know that we are worshiping here today because of sacrifices just like that. I want you to understand something. We are here today and we have eternal life for the one and only sacrifice of Jesus Christ shedding His blood for your sin and my sin so that we could have eternal life with God. That's where the Lord's Supper comes from. That's its origin story. The second thing we see is why do we observe the Lord's Supper today? Think about it. Is it we haven't scheduled it on our calendar to every fifth Sunday do the Lord's Supper. And our ladies are, are so faithful. Every fifth Sunday, don't even have to call them. Sometimes they have to remind me that it's going to be fifth Sunday. But they, they, they prepare these cups of juice and these crackers. Why do we do this? Why, why do churches do the Lord's Supper? Why are we taking time out of our busy schedules? I'm sure great other sermons and things that we could do to do the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper is important. And I want you to understand something. The Lord's Supper is not a Baptist thing. The Lord's Supper is not a Baptist thing. It is a biblical thing. Other churches do this, and other churches do it right, and some denominations do it wrong. But the the first and foremost thing is, we take the Lord's Supper not because it's a Baptist thing, because it's biblical. The second thing, well, before I say the second thing, um, some denominations, they see the Lord's Supper as a sacrament. We see it as an ordinance. An ordinance is something that, that represents... Kind of like when, when a loved one puts a ring on a finger during a wedding ceremony. Legally, they're already married, but this is just an outward sign of an inward commitment, an inward, uh, inward love, right? Well, with the Lord's Supper, it is showing to us and others what Christ has done for us, an appreciation of that. But in some denominations, they believe it's a sacrament to where if you take the Lord's Supper, it will actually Forgive your sins. Look, I love grape juice like everybody else. And for those that like wine, I'm sure that there's some great wines out there that some denominations use. I'm sure you can get the little crackers, you can get rich crackers, you can get the most expensive bread you can think of. But there is no bread, no wine, no grape juice that will take away your sins. Only the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is why we are here. And that is why we are celebrating that. So not only is it a biblical thing, number two, it promotes and symbolizes unity. It symbolizes and promotes unity. When we take the Lord's Supper, I've had the opportunity as a preacher and as a participant, to be a part of line of death funerals for firefighters. Sometimes I would preach it. Other times I would be in it. I still to this day, when I do funerals, and I hear somebody have the bagpipes play Amazing Grace as they walk past the hill, it brings chills down my spine. 
But there's just something about the fact that when you, you have these services, whether it be for firemen or whether it be for policemen or armed forces, when you see all of these men and women in their uniforms, they are saying, we are one together. If one goes down, we all hurt. If one goes down, we all grieve. We are all in this together. There is no better representation of unity than in that picture. And I want you to understand this. When you take the Lord's Supper, we are all wearing the uniform of a Christian that is celebrating what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. It is not just grape juice. It is not just crackers. We are bonding together as brothers and sisters, acknowledging what Christ has done for us and what Christ has done for the world. The Lord's Supper is meant to unify us, to remember the sacrifices that have been given so that we could even observe this Lord's Supper. And also to remember those that have gone before us that have died so that we can have this. The Lord's Supper is a congregational act of obedience. It's something we can do as a group, as a congregation that reminds believers that we are united in one faith, one God, and one baptism. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, it says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. We are unified in the fact of Jesus Christ dying for our sins and that there being one true God. But not only does it show that it's a biblical thing, not only is it an opportunity to promote unity and symbolize unity, it's also a means of getting honest with ourselves. Of getting honest with ourselves. There are many times, especially as a teenager, to where if I could go back on it, and they pass the cookies and the, and the or not the cookies, but the crackers and, and the grape juice by me, I wish I wouldn't have taken it. Because when we take the Lord's Supper, it is a time for honest evaluation. We must examine ourselves. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 32. It says this, it says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty, yeah, guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. So a man should examine himself in this way. He should eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. Before I read verse 30, I just want you to see this, this Lord's Supper is a very intimate, heartfelt, 
expression of our faith and our appreciation for Jesus Christ. And I'm sorry if I've ever made it seem like that it was any less than one of the most intimate things we can do as a church body. Verse 30 says, This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. That means that they've died. If we are properly evaluating ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we may not be condemned with the world. What is the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper is a proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not only Lord of this world, but Lord of your heart. What does that mean to make Jesus Lord? That means that He is not only your Savior. Hey, we can all claim fire insurance. Nobody wants to go to hell. But making Him Lord, that means that we give Him our will. We give Him our way. We give Him our wallet. We give Him our calendar. We give Him our family. We give Him our children. We give Him our hopes. We give Him our dreams. We give Him our insecurities. And we say, you take them and use them because you are Lord. The Lord's Supper is proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. The Lord's Supper is a commitment to live the life that Jesus gave His life for. Just as I spoke earlier about line of duty deaths and funerals for armed services, everybody's wearing the same uniform. You, as a Christian, are wearing the uniform of the person beside you, whether you know them or not. We are bonded together through Jesus Christ and through the sacrifice of His blood. This is also a time to renew your commitment to God. Most people, when they come to a Lord's Supper ceremony, they're not ready to do business with God. They want to eat the cracker, drink the juice, and get out and get the lunch before the crowd gets there. It's so much more than that. It is an intimate act of worship, of love and worship. So the invitation this morning is this. Whatever you do, do not sin by taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. I would have much more respect for someone that passed the cup than one that took it and took it in an unworthy manner. Because it says here, that is sin. If you have sin in your life today, confess and repent before we take this Lord's Supper. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. Get right with God before you embark in this intimate service. Because the blood that we celebrate this morning is the same blood that covers that sin that the Holy Spirit just brought to your mind. Do not mock God this morning. If you refuse to yield to God, just pass the plate. If you have bitterness in your heart against someone else in this room or in your family or someone that you just kind of know, if you have bitterness in your heart today that you will not let go, pass the plate. But if you are at peace with God, 
approach the Lord's Supper as an expression of love to the Jesus that died for your sins. And he gave his life as an ultimate sacrifice for your salvation. Bow your heads, let's pray. God, before we go into the Lord's Supper, it is my prayer that if there is someone here that that wants to come and and kneel before the altar and pray to you and, and confess and repent to get in a clear manner to take the Lord's Supper. The altars are open. They can do that. They don't need me. You are the high priest. They can pray straight to you. They can do it in their pew. They can do it at the altar. They can do it wherever they are at. But Lord, please do not let them miss this moment of repenting and confessing sins. If there is someone here that, that needs to make sure that they are a Christian, that, that they get the fact that it is your blood that has saved them, that, that they are messed up, they are jacked up, and they cannot fix their lives on their own, but they want to come to you and say, clean me, Lord. Make me your child. If someone wants to know you as their Savior and Lord today, may they come forward. I'll be glad to pray with them there's someone that wants to join the church, they can do that as well. And, and we will pray with them and we will go through that and then do the Lord's Supper. But Lord, this is an invitation. How can we just stay in our pews and stand on our premises and hold on to our opinions if there are things between us and you? Help us not to sin this morning by taking your supper in an unworthy manner. This invitation is for you. Don't wait for the third verse. Just get up and come. Lord, we give this time to you, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?